Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, And Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out to the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up. And went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, 
and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Janet, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Now do let me uh, add my welcome to to Paul's and ask you to to keep that uh, chapter of Acts open in front of you, page 1109 in the Church Bibles. But let me pray as we begin. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work uh, through this chapter uh, to do what uh, Paul and Barnabas did in those churches at the end of uh, this passage. Strength, we pray that we'd be strengthened and encouraged to remain true to the faith. And uh, we pray that you would do this for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I can remember a very memorable walk as a teenager, so it's a long time ago now. We're on a, a family holiday in the Lake District, and uh, the plan, we were staying in Borrowdale, and the plan was to climb the mountain of Great Gable from Borrowdale, then go down to the inn in, in Wastel Head, you might know where that is, then walk back via the uh, Stiehead Pass, and the weather was good, and we set off early, and we were expecting, expecting a good but tiring day. But those expectations, well, they turned out to be false expectations. The climb was much harder than we'd expected. The navigation was much more difficult than we'd expected. And we got quite badly lost in the crags on on Great Gable on the way down, sort of sometimes fearing for our lives with precipices before us. And we got to Wastel Head much later than we'd expected. And we had to walk the last two hours of our journey back in the dark. And as far as I can remember... We never attempted anything adventurous on a family holiday ever again. Now, little did I know at the time that I was acting out a metaphor of the Christian life, only to be dredged up 35 years later as a sermon illustration, but that indeed was what I was doing. But false expectations on days out in the Lake District are one thing we'll see this morning. False expectations in the Christian life and in Christian ministry are another and uh, what we're going to be reminded of this morning is that anything less than what the Paul and, Paul and Barnabas learned to expect in this chapter, anything less than that is a false expectation for us. And you can see a summary of what they learned to expect in Christian life and ministry. It's there in verse 22. This is what the message they, they encouraged and strengthened the brothers and sisters in the churches they went back to. This is the summary. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been here the the last few weeks, you'll know that we've started a new series in the middle of the book of Acts, and uh, we've been taken back in time uh, to the moment, it's uh, over 2,000 years ago now, uh, when the good news of God's victory and his blessing and grace through Jesus Christ, uh, these things have burst out into the world. They're burst out into the Mediterranean world, and uh, we've learned about how Paul has been commissioned by Jesus himself to proclaim Jesus' name among the nations. And uh, along with uh, Barnabas, his co-worker, he's been sent out from the city of Antioch in Syria 
uh, and he'll have gone first to the island of Cyprus. And uh, last week, we got as far as another city called Antioch, uh, this time in Pisidia, uh, what's now uh, mainland uh, Turkey. All these Antiochs, slightly confusing. There are apparently 16 cities in the ancient world called Antioch, uh, all set up by the same general and named after his father, who clearly he was very fond of, called Antiochus. And no doubt that caused a little bit of confusion at the time. Um, I think they were probably grateful at the time they hadn't invented the sat-nav, so it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, nonetheless, there are two Antiochs in our passage, and that's that, um, we've just been in Antioch in Pisidia, uh, where Paul went straight to the, to the synagogue and preached a sermon, and he told the people there how the plans and purposes of God had come to, into reality with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he finished by proclaiming an amazing thing, the forgiveness of sins and a new freedom in Christ. And it was a sermon, I think, that caused a huge stir. Um, to begin with, that seemed quite positive, but then some were quite jealous about the response that they'd got. And they stirred up opposition, and eventually Paul and Barnabas were forced to leave, uh, all of which might seem like a bad outcome, apart from the fact that in their time there, many people, including many non-Jewish people, believed. And if we were to ask, was it worth it? Was it worth all that hassle? I think we'd have to say absolutely it was worth it. And this week in chapter 14, we've got very much more of the same. This is still Paul and Barnabas proclaiming the message of God's grace, you know, this unexpected, undeserved free gift of his blessing going out into the world. And again, we've been rem- we're reminded here that these are God's messengers. Uh, you can see it there in verse 3 of our passage. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace. It's his message. It's his grace. In short, we are going to be reminded again that this is God at work, and he's reaching out to the world with his grace. And uh, this, chapter 14, is what it looks like in practice. And we're heading towards chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas are going to spread the joyous news. You might like to flip over the page just to chapter 15, verse 3. The joyous news they bring back to the brothers and sisters who sent them, that Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, have been converted. They've received the grace of God. And the implication of all of this, both then and now, is be confident. Be confident about what God is now doing in the world And what's more than that, get on board. Get on board with it. So in part, chapter 14 is here to strengthen and reinforce all of that. I think we'll see that very clearly this morning. But is there more that we can learn from the detail of this chapter? And I think there is. I think we're going to learn a lot more about the kind of confidence God wants us to have. In other words, this is going to train us. Train us how to join in and get on board with what God is now doing in the world. In particular, I think we're going to be trained to keep speaking the gospel. That is, the good news of God's victory, his blessing and grace in Jesus. And to keep doing this despite the many troubles that may come our way. And uh, the author of Acts, Luke, picks out four areas for us to think about. Uh, one... He says, keep speaking it despite division, despite divided responses. Two, keep speaking it despite facing ignorance and confusing confusion. Three, keep speaking it despite facing violence. And then finally, four, keep speaking it despite having said it once already uh, to strengthen and to encourage. Okay, then let's uh, turn to look at some of this detail. Beginning in verses uh, 1 to 7, uh, we've got Paul and Barnabas in Iconium. And they're showing the kind of confidence 
that helps us to keep going with speaking the gospel despite division. Speaking the gospel despite division. Okay, so remember Paul and Barnabas have been expelled from the region of Antioch and Pisidia and they moved on to Iconium. And uh, basically here we get a repeat performance of what happened uh, back there. And that, I think, of course, establishes a regular pattern of ministry. They go, as usual, you can see it in verse 1, to the Jewish synagogue, and, the, and both of them speak powerfully there, and a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. But uh, just as they found before, there are some who don't believe, who stir up opposition, and there's a plot, verse 5, to stone Paul and Barnabas, uh, but they hear about it, and they flee to the next cities, where they continue, verse 7, to preach the good news. Uh, now look and think carefully with me at the good example that Paul and Barnabas set here, what they actually do in this situation. First, first thing they do is they don't give up. They don't give up after what happened to them in Antioch. Secondly, they speak boldly. That's there very clearly, verse 3. Uh, third, they continue to speak boldly for as long as the window of opportunity remains open for them. And then fourth, verse 7, they still don't give up when they're forced to move on yet again. So that's what they're doing. But I've been saying that this is God's work. This is God at work. To track with me also what God is doing in these verses. First, verse 1, he brings many to believe. Second, verse 3, he confirms that this is his message of grace. Uh, and he confirms it with signs and wonders, miracles. We're going to get an example of this in, in just a moment in the next city. But that may make you wonder a bit. Is that part of the regular pattern of things? So let me just pause there for a moment and say a little bit about this. Uh, notice, please, at first that these things do not happen. These amazing visual things do not happen because Paul or Barnabas are especially holy or somehow especially open to the possibility of them happening there doesn't seem to be any suggestion of that going on. It seems rather to be God's choice to make it happen in this particular setting. And the pattern across the book of Acts is actually he doesn't do this all the time. But he may do it for special reasons. Like here, in fact, we're told why he does it here. To confirm that this is his message of grace. Why does he need to confirm that? Well, it's gone to a very unexpected place. It's gone out to the nations, to non-Jewish people. So it needs to be confirmed. But once he's done that, of course, once it's been seen and recorded for all time here in the book of Acts, in many ways there isn't much reason to keep confirming this over and over again. It's already been confirmed, if you like. In short, we don't have to get hung up about whether this happens every time. If the Lord wants to do it or needs to do it, then he will do it. What we can be sure of every time, and this is the news that Paul and Barnabas take uh, back with them, and they take onto the, the believers in Jerusalem, is that it was indeed the Lord at work. It was indeed the Lord at work among the Gentiles, and they'd seen it for themselves. Okay, come back with me to what the Lord is doing here, or perhaps think rather, rather what the Lord isn't doing here. Notice that the Lord doesn't bring everyone to believe in this city. There's a, there's a mixed response, a divided response, just as there always has been. Uh, we've seen it in Jesus' own ministry, just as there always will be. He also doesn't keep Paul and Barnabas free from opposition and persecution. 
But interestingly, he does, through all of that, seem to be absolutely in control of what's going on. Uh, He's holding the persecution back just long enough for that word to take root and have an effect. And then he uses the persecution to send Paul and Barnabas onto new pastures, and so spreading the word of his grace still further. Okay, then, what do we learn from all this? What do we learn from all this? Uh, Well, we do have reinforced for us that encouragement to speak the gospel uh, despite uh, facing mixed responses and division, which I guess uh, maybe many of us kind of knew already. Um, That's a a big part of the message across the New Testament. It's part of Jesus' own teaching. Uh, He always teaches us through the parable of the sower, for example. We can expect mixed responses, but still, I suspect that we haven't quite got that. We haven't processed that uh, quite as well as we should have done. And I suspect that myself included, we're hampered by some false expectations here, some excessively high expectations of success in Christian ministry. Uh, I suspect it's partly a pride thing. You know, we, we don't like doing things that result in failure. We don't want to do things unless we're pretty sure they're going to work. We don't like failing. We don't like losing face. We don't like we we'll tend to think badly of ourselves when that happens. But what if it's the case, and the scriptures are kind of pointing us in this direction, what if, the, what if it's the case is the actual success rate from evangelism, it's kind of what we're seeing here in Acts, is quite low. Let's suppose, for example, suppose that the success rate of telling someone the gospel was around 20%. Now, why have I picked that figure, uh, 20%? Um, well, it's the, it's the figure that Andy mentioned actually a couple of weeks ago. It's the, the figure in a survey a few years ago suggesting that even in cold, hard, sceptical Britain, 20% of people, one in five people, would actually quite like us to talk to them about Jesus, or at least don't mind us talking to them about Jesus. Now, 20% is still, in one sense, quite low. It's not the 99% that we'd rather like it to be, but 20%... Uh, uh, and it does mean that most of the time, you know, four out of five times, we're going to get a cold response. But I do want us to look at this a different way this morning and say that 20% looked at a different way is huge. It's, friends, it's just massive. Um, 20% of the population of Sheffield, for example, is 120,000 people. That is a a vast harvest field, a ripe harvest field. Imagine 120,000 people, or even half of that, maybe 60,000 people coming to listen to Jesus, coming to believe, joining Bible-believing churches. Imagine the good that that would be in itself and the transformation that it would bring to the city. So then... Let's lower our expectations to something more realistic. Let's deal with our pride where we need to, and many of us do need to do that. Let's brace ourselves for those, uh, you know, those cold responses, but nonetheless be excited by the possibilities, by that vast harvest field waiting for us. That's speaking the gospel, continuing to speak the gospel, despite the divided responses, and then uh, that going on, And uh, this is our next section, speaking the gospel despite ignorance and confusion. Verses 8 
through to 18, speaking the gospel despite ignorance. Let's pick it up at verse 8. We're in a new city now, in Lystra. And again, track with me what happens here. And the first thing is Paul healing someone, someone who's been lame from birth. It's an example of the kinds of signs and wonders we heard about back in verse 3, but didn't have described that were taking place in Iconium. Uh, and we'd have to say that this is a, is a very helpful miracle for us. It's very helpful for us because it's, it's very similar to a, a miracle that God did through the Apostle Peter back in Acts chapter 3. And it helps us to make some connections then between what's happening here and what was happening back there. It helps us to conclude that Paul is an apostle of God just like Peter was an apostle of God. They've both been commissioned as his witnesses and they're both uh, continuing and multiplying the ministry of Jesus, because of course this is very much like uh, one of Jesus' miracles. Uh, so it's very helpful for us. It confirms again that God is at work here, God is at work in his apostle Paul. However, having said that, it has to be said, as a means of communicating the message of God's grace to the people of Lystra at the time, uh, I think we probably have to say that it was something of a disaster at least at first. Let me read from verse, what happened from verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, clearly very excited by all of this, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But again, let's see what happened next. And interestingly, what didn't happen? What didn't happen next? First, we can say this. Paul and Barnabas didn't walk away in disgust. Uh, Second, they didn't roll their eyes and dismiss or, or patronize what may well have seemed like very, very stupid people. Third, they didn't call down curses on these pagan idolaters, or they didn't do anything like that. What did they do? Well, they did everything they could to correct the misunderstanding and address the ignorance. Let me read from verse 14. But when the apostles and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. And Paul goes on to explain it even even further. You know this God, actually, in one sense, you've been receiving good gifts from this God the whole of your lives. And now, here's the good news. You can turn and know him for yourselves. Now, what is Paul doing here? Paul's doing... Uh, what these days uh, might be called contextualization, uh, which is just a, a fancy way of saying that he's, he's, he's working really hard to bridge the gap between their ways of thinking and the truth that he wants to communicate. And he's found that, that gap really quite large. He's having to fill in quite a lot of missing detail about you know, why the universe exists and uh, who made it and why he's the one who deserves our worship. That's a very helpful thing for us to see. It's a really helpful example for us. 
Because we also will frequently find ourselves facing a similarly huge gap of understanding. This has always been the case for Christians. It was, it was true back in Acts 14. It's true for us today. In his book, The Gagging of God, Don Carson talks about how few people today, for example, know that the Bible is divided into two testaments. Uh, he was working on a TV program about religion, and he found that out of the 30 people he chatted to, only two people knew that sort of fairly basic fact about the Bible. And that was only because they'd been working on the program the week before. Now, Don Carson wrote that book uh, some time ago now, and it was, this event took place in the States where Christianity is really much more part of the culture. So what should we expect in Britain today? Well, I think we should probably expect very, very little, an almost total ignorance or misunderstanding when it comes to Christian things. And we should also expect people very often to find the Christian message hard to grasp or understand. It'll take them a long time, typically, to do so. And yes, uh, that is sometimes a, a spiritual blindness that needs to be overcome, but it's, sometimes it's just the sheer difficulty of processing something so radical, so, so different, so new. Uh, in particular, I've found, and you may have found this too, that people today still struggle, just as they did back in Lystra. They still struggle to understand the God as creator of everything. You know, the one who made everything out of nothing and gives us everything that we enjoy. People still struggle with that idea, just as they did back there. We have to be very patient explaining that idea. And people really, really struggle to understand this idea of God's grace, his undeserved kindness. And there's so many, you'll come across, we come across this all the time, are sort of stubbornly stuck in this belief um, that to receive blessing from God, we need to earn it from him. We need to earn it from him by being good, or at least, you know, relatively good. And even if you tell people about God's grace over and over again, still they struggle to understand it. Now it can be very frustrating, but the question is, how are we going to deal with that frustration? How are we going to react? Will it be discouragement? Will it be frustration, impatience? That's what we'll be tempted to. You know, will we be like the, the Englishman abroad, just speaking more slowly and more loudly, you know, asserting our absolute right to be understood, uh, which seems to be about as far as some people can go in terms of contextualization. Or will we rather follow the example that we've been set here by Paul and Barnabas and go out of our way to do and say everything we can to make the gospel understandable, to make ourselves understood and working really hard on clarity, but also, importantly, being full of patience and compassion not giving up saying what we need to say. After all, the frustration of being misunderstood is far from, far from the worst thing that could happen to us. Um, that's what we're going to discover next. Uh, our, our Lord wants a, a deeper confidence in the gospel in us than that. And take a look with me what, ha what happens in verses 18 and 19 here. Here's the next thing. This is the encouragement to speak the gospel. Keep speaking the gospel 
despite violence. Verses 18 and 19. And again, you can see here, it doesn't seem to be going very well for Paul and Barnabas. They've been expelled from Antioch in Pisidia after persecution. They left Iconium because there was a plot to persecute them there. But now we see, verse 19, the persecution uh, catches up. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Now, as we've been been working through this chapter together, you may have been thinking, yeah, I can see how it's a mistake to expect success in Christian ministry all the time. I can see how it's unreasonable to expect to be understood all the time. But surely, surely we can expect a little bit of decency as we go about Christian ministry, some basic human rights. Surely we can expect to speak without being physically harmed. Well, it would seem, no, we cannot expect that. And that has been the case ever since the beginning, and it remains so today. We were hearing a little bit about it earlier from Paul, thinking about the situation in Nigeria. Very obviously, in many parts of the world, speaking the gospel will bring physical harm. And in our situation, even, we can say that even if it's not as extreme as being stoned and left for dead, there are plenty of other forms for persecution to take. Unjust imprisonment, we were praying about that earlier. A financial loss of various different sorts. Uh, for example, losing a job. Uh, for being thrown out of a family. Uh, losing friends. Uh, being insulted. Being marginalized. Being shamed being mocked. These are things that we can all expect. But if you think uh, being stoned and left for dead is an extreme thing, just take a look at um, Paul's response in verse 20. And I'm going to read on into verse 21 as well. This is what happened. This is how Paul reacted to what happened to him. Verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. He went back into the city The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. It's extraordinary, isn't it? He he just can't be stopped. Up he gets, dusts himself off, goes straight back to the place where I guess his would-be killers, maybe perhaps they're even still there. And uh, then he, he goes and he gets on with the very thing that's just got him in such trouble. He continues preaching the good news of Jesus Um, You know, this really happened, but it's also a wonderful picture, isn't it? It's a wonderful metaphor for perseverance and resilience in the Christian life. Whatever the the, the harm or the knock or the setback that we're talking about. Paul says elsewhere, we're knocked down, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Uh, We get ourselves up, we dust ourselves up, and we get back on with it. I found this a, a hugely encouraging image this last week. Okay, then one last very, very quick thing to say as we finish. That's the the last thing that Paul and Barnabas demonstrate to us in this chapter. This is the encouragement to speak the gospel, keep speaking the gospel, verses 21 to 28, despite having said it once already. Now, we don't really have time to do this justice, but it's important to note, um, here's the question, is what Paul and Barnabas have done so far enough You might have thought so, given what they've been through, but no. What do they do? They finish by retracing their steps, revisiting all the places where they've spoken the gospel of God's grace in Jesus, 
All the places, of course, where they've been harassed and persecuted and can expect that again. But they go back, they go back into that places. And let me read what happens halfway through verse 21. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Uh, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Uh, That's the the pattern that's being set here. That's the expectation that we should have. And uh, Paul and Barnabas, verse 23, appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. In other words, it is not enough. It is not enough to speak the gospel of grace and then just to leave people and abandon them. We need to make sure that it gets spoken to them again. Uh, Go back, strengthen and encourage. And uh, before going anywhere, we need to make sure that there are people in place who are going to keep speaking it so that it can be spoken again and again and again. I think we can probably add this to the list of false expectations that are dealt with in this chapter. Okay, so just remember, let me summarize what they've been. Uh, Number one, it is wrong to expect success all all the time in Christian ministry. Uh, Success, even a small part of the time, is still more than worth it. Number two, it is wrong to expect people to understand us straight away uh, without further explanation. It's wrong to be frustrated by that and to give up. Number three, it is wrong to expect freedom from suffering and persecution. And now finally, it is wrong to expect that saying it just once is enough. It has to be said over and over and over again. Okay then, as I said at the start, uh, false expectations on days out in the Lake District are one thing. They can get you into trouble, that's for sure. False expectations in the Christian life and in Christian ministry are another. And let me say again, anything less than what Paul and Barnabas learned to expect in this chapter is a false expectation. And now we know, now we know what they learned to expect. Verse 22 again. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. But every time... Every time if we ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it? The answer is yes, yes, absolutely. It is worth it. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray that we would be strengthened and encouraged to, to go out, strengthened to, to, to speak the gospel, Uh, We pray that you would deal with our expectations about what's going to happen when we do that. Make them realistic, we pray. And uh, we pray that we go out and do it anyway, to your glory and for our benefit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.